0: Welcome to Room at the Table, an opportunity for you to join me, Betsy Cerulo, and my guests for conversations about creating equitable and inclusive workplaces where leaders rise above mediocrity and our teams thrive. Pull up a chair. There's always room at the table. Welcome to another meaningful conversation on Room at the Table. I am Betsy Cerullo, your host, and welcome to my guests today from Chase Brexton Healthcare, Sam McClure, Executive Director of the Center for LGBTQ Health Equity, and Aya Schumann, Executive Director of the Institute for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Both inspiring women are passionate about ensuring that excellent healthcare and opportunities are available to all people. Their intentional actions work to remove the barriers that we still face in underserved communities and diversity in general. They are champions for inclusion. Today, we're talking about equity, what does it mean, and why equity is paramount in everything we do. So pull up a chair, enjoy your favorite beverage, and let's get started. Welcome, my Great friends. Great to be here.
1: Thanks so much for having us.
0: Yeah, I am just, absolutely. I am just really appreciative that you were able to make time. I know you both are so, so busy in the world of change and healthcare and equity. So um, I'm hoping that today, for our listeners, in, in, in talking about equity and just having a really rich conversation, that we can, you know, help to educate people who sometimes maybe don't understand the full scope of equity, or, or those of us that think, well, you know what? I have everything I need and I'm good to go. Because I think many of us who are in places of influence and just generally have a voice, have a responsibility to take care of other people as well. So I want to talk about the, the simplest question, what is equity? How would you oh, I'd first
2: that? say it's not a simple question at all, but doesn't mean it's not the right place to start. Would you prefer to start in a different place? No, I just think uh, the more we talk about it, uh, the more its simplicity falls away, and we realize how mm-hmm. complex inequity is, right? And so, if you're in mm-hmm. the pursuit of equity, there's an inherent unwinding. Of existing inequities, and I think one once one starts to dig into that, complexity is is really part of the conversation too. So I really just wanted to throw that in there.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
2: So yeah, I've, yeah, you know, I I and I work together at Chase Brexon and, and I think we we both have really different valuable perspectives. I'll throw in something, it doesn't exactly answer the question, but I think it's in the lane of the question that really says a lot about what we're doing at Chase Brexton. We just recently went through a whole exercise of redoing our mission statement and our values and you know all of these things that large organizations do to kind of reset our compass. And you know, one of the things that we did this time with our mission statement. Uh, which has always had the phrase honors diversity, is we added the phrase addresses Mm -hmm. inequities. And I think it was a really important moment for us to sort of shift our compass to being very action-oriented. So not only understanding, you know, what is equity and why are we working towards equity, but Mm -hmm. really to identify and address inequity as well.
1: And um, I definitely agree with everything that Sam said. It is a very complicated topic. I think a lot of times when people try to understand what equity is, they kind of position it next to things. It kind of makes it easier. So um, Sam mentioned inequity. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a little bit easier to spot. Um, it's often positioned next to equality, equality being sameness, mm-hmm. equity being fairness and justice. So I define it as giving everyone what they need in order to achieve similar outcomes it won't be the same outcomes but similar outcomes what is needed in order to get everyone to somewhat equal footing and that will be a unique um, approach and unique needs based off of the individuals in question because we all have um, we're all dynamic so many things have contributed to our Mm -hmm. experiences so it's a way to kind of level the playing field but it is distinguished from equality which again is you know offering similar similar things which may not mm-hmm. may or may not be applicable
0: right you know within healthcare there is a lot of people are beginning to notice that within certain diverse groups people do not get the same quality healthcare which is heartbreaking and it's wrong and would either one of you like to speak to that, uh, what you see, what you see as the ways to shift that? And I know that is, it, it's certainly not an easy thing to do. It's a, it is a process, endless process. i a
2: conversation like this is, is one of many steps in the right direction. Um, I would also say uh, the fact that you didn't use the phrase health disparity uh, gave me hope. Health disparity is such a go-to phrase, and and um, when I first got to Chase Breckson, you know, Betsy, you and I go way back, long before my tenure here. And you know, the healthcare is not really my background. Uh, I'm thrilled to be in healthcare. This is a dream opportunity for me. And you know, one of my early questions was, gosh, we're talking about health disparities constantly, um, and I wanted to really kind of break down what does that what does that mean exactly, and it. You know, what I finally got to is it just means difference. It just means difference. And really, we use that phrase health disparity uh, more than we should. And more often, we should point to an inequity. Because if you see a disparity, a difference in health outcomes, Mm -hmm. there is almost no doubt that there's an inequity sitting behind that. So the disparity is the outcome. And sometimes, you know, researchers and thought leaders and uh, folks, we get to talking in our, our lingo about social determinants of health or health disparities or all these kind of phrases that we get used to using. And really, you know, there's inequities behind anything that we read as a health disparity. To me, that's kind of where I like start thinking about it is, you know, once we've measured this, different outcome, or health disparity, getting to the inequities, understanding the why. Yeah,
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah, I I think that it's really important when you kind of get stuck with um, a lot of these phrases, and you use them, and they're overused. And there's some comfort there, because, you know, most people in the field of public health have some awareness of what you're talking about. But if you don't dive deeper into what each of the phrases mean, then it, it can be um, a barrier to actually completing the work, to actually doing meaningful work. I think to answer your question, um, let's take the maternal mortality crisis um, as it pertains to Black women. Working in the federal government, this was something that mm-hmm. a lot of us were concerned about. There are barriers along the way in political administrations. There's barriers along the way in terms of organizational structures. Um, there, I, I think it starts with an acknowledgement that this is actually happening. It also starts with uh, compassion. Mm -hmm. You have to not only be aware, but you have to feel that charge to do something about it. And in a lot of organizations and institutions, that starts with um, leadership awareness. You need a leader or multiple leaders, ideally, to advocate for it. Otherwise, initiatives will fall flat. Mm -hmm. So I think those things are key
0: when you talk about that that deeper dive is there a point that you both see where you know people can begin to to make the initial inquiries ask initial questions but is there a theme or a point that when you start do start doing that deeper dive where the discomfort begins
1: yes definitely it's a good barometer for when you've kind of approached the the cusp of change it's it's potential potential Mm-hmm. When you've um, hit that, because if you don't hit that, then you've just you're just maintaining the status quo a lot of times. So um, we often say this. Sam and I have had conversations and uh, about this, and we talk about this at Chase Brexton as well. That um, we don't shy away from discomfort because we understand that it could be transformative
0: in leadership in general. There are many times that we do have to have that discomfort. And I know for myself and, you know, Sam, having known you for, for many years too, when you, when you do get to that place of discomfort, it's, there's a lot of growth there. And I know for myself in, in learning a lot more about the inequities in healthcare, there's that pang that happens inside of me, you know, my heart, or if, if I'm somewhere and I'm witness to it, I know that, and I say this, I've I, I say this a couple of times on different podcasts, that if if we do nothing or say nothing, that is doing something that's allowing it. And I'd like to know from from your perspective. You know, there's the leadership perspective, but le- let's say just any listener who's who's wanting to know more, what's a, a small thing that any individual can do when they hear, see about the inequity? What do you think that someone can, what steps someone can take? And that's not, I know it's not an easy question.
1: Yeah, it it definitely is multi-layered, but it's a great question. Um, I love what you just said um, about inaction being inaction. Mm -hmm. I love what you said. Um, In his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, Dr. Ibram Kendi, says the opposite of being a racist isn't not racist it's anti-racist which is very action based it's action driven activity so i think in order to be authentic i think that we all need to do a deep dive into our the biases that Mm -hmm. we hold we have to look within and explore you know, various perceptions that we have about individuals and groups, our upbringing, Mm -hmm. where things came from, you can ask for people to do it on an ad hoc basis. But if you're not willing to, again, do that deep dive where you look within and you say, hey, well, how does this show up for me? What are my triggers? Then I just don't see it being sustained, any action, any one given action being sustained in the long term. So I think that's a good place Mm -hmm. to start.
2: Yeah, that's well said. Um, I, you know, my brain went to like, well, what's the context? You know, what's the context of someone hearing something? Because I think it makes a really big difference. I mean, if you're, if you're sitting with someone and they're talking about their own experience and something that they have a barrier between them and, um, good healthcare outcomes to to stay in the lane of healthcare. You know, just learning to listen yeah. differently is a really big step, especially if it's an area where, you know, maybe one hasn't had their own experience. I I'm never surprised when people talk about struggling with healthcare because I've I've felt my own struggles with healthcare during during my lifetime for a variety of reasons. And I know when I got to Chase Brexton and started working in the Center for LGBTQ Health Equity I and, and really started listening to patient experience, I found out that being informed by my own experience is not enough mm-hmm. to be a champion for not only all people under that LGBTQIA umbrella, all people. Right. People uh, who, you know, they have maybe have different citizenship status. Maybe they're not living in their nation of mm-hmm. origin. English might not be their first language. Uh, maybe they're experiencing an invisible disability that is really hindering their ability to navigate their health care. You know, whatever exact thing it is, you know, the lens of my own experience is just not going to be enough. So to really hear and listen with compassion and just dismiss your, your uh, natural tendency to, to judge and categorize. And then, you know, to get to what I is talking about, like when you get that twinge of discomfort, what's it really about? What's Mm -hmm. activating this emotional response in you? Is it, because you've heard something unimaginable to you or is it something else i i I know for me as i've gone through my career working in diversity inclusion and equity work in a a variety of different areas i know a common pain point for me was hearing something that made me realize many things i had been taught were completely wildly incorrect
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right
2: so that can be a moment of discomfort when you, when you realize that your perception of, of the history of something
0: mm-hmm.
2: is wildly inaccurate yeah. because it was fed to you by a system that is, you know, innately not inclusive in its narratives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just taking a minute and you're listening to, you know, deploy your curiosity and your compassion. What, why do I have this feeling? Where's that coming from? What's going on for the person who's trusting you and making themselves vulnerable to you? And, you know, taking the steps you have to take to both under, understand your own mind and perceptions mm-hmm. and really understand where is this person coming from and what can you actively do to meet their immediate need that they're talking to you about, but also address the system that created mm-hmm. that need.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I think to patience is really important. Something as simple as going to the doctor's office and knowing that there might be someone in front of you who's taking a little bit longer because maybe there is a language barrier. Um, maybe they're at a point in their life where they're not fully understanding something or, uh, or, you know, the invisible disability. And I can go down the list. And, and I think too, sometimes when we go in for our own health care, you know, a lot of times there's a backup and you, you think you're going for a certain time for an appointment and it tends to be longer. And I, I'm guilty of that too. You know, I think, okay, well, I allotted this much time. I'd like to be I'd like to be complete, but I've noticed that as I've, I've gotten older, just to be more patient because there are people ahead of me that maybe just need a little extra care and the care starts in, in the waiting room. Um, you know, something that's, that sometimes has come up for me when I've been witness to someone who is, uh, not being treated fairly is a, a feeling of shame. Because I know where I've come from, I know that I've been fortunate, and this guilt of watching someone else be marginalized, minimalized, and seeing that I would be treated differently or have been treated differently. And it has bothered me many times over the years, which has had me tend to want to not want to, and also to say something um to assist someone that may need it again rather than do nothing and maybe if i do nothing the discomfort will go away i'm more dis- i'm more uncomfortable when i when i don't do anything
1: yeah i think that's excellent it's excellent that when you have that internal awareness and that you're exploring you know what you should do about it to kind of alleviate the pressure um, it, when we sit with these kind of heavy feelings we want to, it can, it can mm-hmm. be motivating to move out of it. Um, and there's ways to use mm-hmm. our privilege, right? And social advantage. So individuals who experience privilege in the society um, need not just sit with the heaviness of it. There are things that right. can be done um, that can help better others who do not mm-hmm. experience that. I know that I have social advantage in certain situations. So I encountered a situation in a restaurant a couple months ago where someone was very rude to the restaurant worker and said, "Go back to your own country." And we all have different emotions that kind of rise to the top. For me, it's like <laughs> it's a bit mm-hmm. of the fire <laughs> element will will kind of rush up um, because I feel like I I it's important for me to be an advocate for those who. Are not able to or are not willing to because they're at their place of work. So that was a situation where I was able to speak to the person, and then we actually ended up having a great conversation. It was mm-hmm. uncomfortable at first, but um, I stepped in and I said, "That's not mm-hmm. appropriate." You know, it, I guess you'll have you have to kind of weigh to Sam's point the context of the situation, where you are at the time, your own emotional load or your own emotional mm-hmm. capacity as well.
0: Yeah, and I've had you know instances. In business, where I'm working with a customer and the individual on the other side, maybe I've known I've known them for a long time, and they have not really progressed with a lot of the changes. So some of the things that come out of their mouth, I I would just open my eyes, and now I say, you know, look, I want to have a sidebar conversation with you, and I'll call them up, and I say, I just want to educate you on on what the changes are. And usually when I have those kind of conversations where it's not making anybody wrong, I usually just say, you know what, I'm also evolving with the, the changes that we see out there in business, but I want to just give you some insight. And usually when I, when I approach it, I don't make them wrong. I also make it sound like I'm also um, in training of learning, you know, an eternal student. And they usually are, they're appreciative. And I, I've been fortunate that no one's come at me, you know, in a really negative way. And, uh, but I'm prepared if it is, but not everybody, again, not everybody wants to engage like that. Not everybody's prepared, but we do have an opportunity for that change. And, and, you know, the, the two of you are incredible educators to create a safe space for people to learn with the changes. Which I'm, which I'm always uh, uh, appreciative of. Have you? Let me ask you from a, a leadership standpoint, because my question is: How as leaders do we create equity in our workplace? Your workplace happens to be healthcare related, but but what do you see from your perspectives? What what do? How do we make some change? How do we change shift the culture?
1: I think that. In order to shift the culture, first, you have to look at your mm-hmm. stakeholders. So you have to look at who you serve. And for Chase Brexton, that's our, our workforce, our entire workforce. That's our patients as well and the greater Chase Brexton community. So it's a different approach for each um Target population. I mean, that's the formal term, but you know, for our community, for our people, um, it's a different approach for everyone. So, for our workforce, it would be looking at ways to ensure that there's fair advancement across the organization, regardless of a person's sexual Mm -hmm. orientation or gender identity, regardless of um, an individual's race or disability status, so on and so forth. For our patients, it's access to care. It's uh, the removal of barriers. Uh, Barriers are things that plague our patients. And a lot of times our patients don't come to us Mm -hmm. with just one issue. They come to us with multiple. So um, looking at our patients and ensuring that we're there to help, that's key. Um, And then looking at the greater Chase Brexton community, And for the greater Chex Brexton community, it could be an issue of doing a deep dive beyond the bounds of health disparities, as we discussed. What are the issues that plague Mm -hmm. our communities? Um, For Baltimore, it's a high uh, number of or high prevalence of HIV. It's individuals who are Mm -hmm. food insecure. It's individuals who are low income and may not have access to the care that they need. So I think that's that's a way it's, it's complicated, but that's a, a good way to tackle the various groups that we interact with.
2: Yeah, I agree. The two of us don't disagree very often. I was wondering if we were ever, if I can't remember any situation where we've ever disagreed, but if we do today, it'll be uh, probably an opportunity for us both to, to stretch in some direction. You know, when thinking about our culture inside of our organization and how, how do we uh, work with our workforce, I think something that's always sort of stays front of mind to me, and I think this goes back to exactly the, one of the ways you, you defined equity earlier, Aya, you know, with inclusion work, there, and there's so many aspects to inclusion work, really the outcome that we want is a sense of belonging. Like, I'm here. This is where I belong. And to me, one really major thread that creates that sense of belonging is I can grow here. I've just arrived, and this is where I've arrived. I've arrived at this spot right here. But I can see the landscape of the whole organization, and there's opportunities for me to grow from where I begin, to some other place in the organization. And then, you know, if and when I choose to leave this organization for another chapter of my career, I'm going to leave it stronger and more prepared with uh, more education, more tangible skill sets. And I really think that really every person who goes to a job wants that on some level. They want to grow. They want to stretch. If they're, maybe they're in an entry-level position, but it's serving our mission. It's meeting their community with what they need and delivering on that. People want to just get better and better at what they do and be able to stretch and grow and maybe teach someone beside them, help them stretch and grow, and just having that really vibrant kind of ecosphere of Mm -hmm. stretch and growth and challenge and that everybody has access to that if they want to, to me, that's a really important element of what we're trying to do. And it, you know, it's going to be different Mm -hmm. for every person. It's not a thing that you can just have a, well, like, here's our advancement opportunity map. It looks exactly the same for everyone. It's not, it can't be like that. It's got to be something that really meets each individual with exactly who they are and exactly what they want out of their time uh, with, a, with an organization. And that that's a big thread that, that stays with me. I think about it really every day. I think it's very important to addressing culture change inside of an organization, really whether you're a, a business more the size of yours. Uh, mm-hmm. Betsy, or if you're a Chase Bruxen with, you know, we've close to 450 mm-hmm. employees, five locations, you know, we have a big footprint, but that, that compass of creating that sense of belonging, I think
0: it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's really, really important. Absolutely. And, you know, you both see possibility in everyone and that mm. is not one size fits all because we all come to the table with different gifts with different wounds and and I, that that makes i think that makes the workplace quite interesting and we can all attest that there are times that that could make a workplace toxic too so on on the flip side what mistakes do you see leaders doing in trying in their attempt to put equity into the culture?
1: I, I would say that um, a lot of leaders or a lot of organizations are interested in EDI. We, we say EDI or DEI work, um, but only in a performative way. Mm-hmm. And employees mm-hmm. can feel that. Individuals who interact with organization mm-hmm. can feel that. When you want to check off a box that says, well, look at what we're doing, An incident happened, here's a statement, Um, and then just leave it at that. Chase Brexton is very unique in that it has invested in bringing leaders on board to tackle these issues in a meaningful way. So I feel just very blessed to be a part of an organization like that. Um, So I think a mistake would be just, again, saying, you know, we're going to do a little bit and think Mm -hmm. that that's enough the more you do, the more you have to do. Right. Right. So, right. yeah,
2: I agree hundred percent. And I would say there's, there's phrases that are red flags for that kind of behavior. One is it's a journey. If you, if you throw a note in a bottle and chuck it in the ocean, do the mm-hmm. message in a bottle, that bottle's going mm-hmm. on a journey, right? We're not on a journey. We're on a, we're on a clearly defined You know, Mm -hmm. set of activities. So every time I hear the journey metaphor, I always think, okay, is there an actual map? Are we going to move those pins? You know, are we going to have measurables? Or are we just going to say, you know, congrats, we're on the journey? You know, I just think it's too easy to kind of give oneself a pat on the back. Mm -hmm. Oh, we've, now we're doing it. We're, we're, we're doing it without. Constantly going back to exactly what are we doing and how are we measuring it and how are we holding our whole organization accountable for whatever their responsibilities are in that. Uh, You can't do that if you treat it like something kind of squishy, like a journey. No shade on the word journey, but to me, it's just too squishy. Like this work is exact and data driven Mm -hmm. and process oriented and strategy oriented as any other business imperative. If you treat it any other way,
0: Mm -hmm. it's not going to work. You know, the, you, we don't typically arrive. We're constantly moving. So, um, you know, when you say about journey, I always think of point A and a point B. You can think you got to point B, but then all of a sudden there's going to be a shift and B needs to be C. And that's just because people are part of, are on that ship, if you will. And everyone has relatively different needs, certain pieces of, of what a workplace does, you know, it's, it's, it's just different for people. And I think when we have this, this notion of it's defined, I think that's where people get in trouble. A perfect example is through COVID. I thought I, I knew some things and then anything, most things that I thought I knew had to be put aside because you, you had to, you just had to move quickly and intentionally to make sure people were served.
1: I think it's it's great to have a plan, and I think that it's great to also, uh, to your point, ensure that you're flexible. Mm-hmm. As you learn best practices and you learn things along the way, are you mm-hmm. willing to pivot, or do you stay stuck because you invested a lot of time in the plan mm-hmm. on the front end? Yeah, so you have to you have to learn along the way and, and realize that this is a ever growing mm-hmm. field, and even when we think we've got it we don't always got it even with lived experience and things like that. We all like to say that we're experts in this and, and we have, we, we, maybe mm-hmm. we are, we've devoted a lot of time to it, but um, again, it's not um, a mm-hmm. static thing. It's ever Absolutely. evolving. So, yeah.
2: I think uh, I'm glad both of you said exactly what you just said, you know, and I think, you know, my point about treating it like any other business um, mm-hmm. imperative it really points to that because you know no one's surprised if you have a strategy for you know new client acquisition or some other imperative and you know 60 days into your strategy you make a few adjustments it's very natural kind of business strategy thing and i think when you're when you're really treating inclusion in that same way and you you've got something mm-hmm. to measure you see the measurements aren't showing you, you know, the data isn't showing you what you thought it would, you know, understanding that you can make an adjustment and that um, all the leaders that work with you will support that. I I think that's really important Mm -hmm. strategically, um, that it's not just this, we're not just checking the boxes, you know, that's compliance, actually. To me, that's compliance oriented. But if we're change oriented, then it's alive and it's organic and it will be shifting just like any other business challenge that we have. And
0: sometimes we make mistakes. I mean, I can certainly say that as a leader, sometimes we make mistakes and when we're accountable if we have made an error, people tend to respect that and 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 we're all willing to to dive back in and okay, let's let's throw away that plan, let's let's recreate and start from scratch.
1: Because it's authentic mm-hmm. too. When you're, when you're your true self and you're vulnerable. And a lot of times people appreciate that rather than when you only show the polish, it doesn't feel real. Folks can't necessarily connect with that mm. as well. So Absolutely. I do think it's important to acknowledge uh, mm-hmm. mistakes openly.
2: Yeah, agreed.
0: agree. So as we bring this, uh, this conversation to a close, I'd like to ask you both, is there, Or what would you recommend when it comes to equity, wherever that equity is, what could be a small step or a small change that anyone can perhaps look at it differently to be moving in in the right direction towards towards the healthy change?
1: I think that a lot of times individuals think that um, certain things are in the past. You know, a lot of times folks think, you know, well, you know, slavery was generations ago. They don't really factor in the Mm cross-generational effect of slavery, of poverty, not having citizenship or, um, you know, uh, various immigration statuses. So I think that um, Mm -hmm. knowing the history and understanding the root causes of some of the issues and being open so that it's not a matter of, well, other populations. You know, they're just not working hard enough. That narrative is very toxic and troubling. So I think that it's, it's important for, for all of us, whether we're people of color, whether we're allies to people of color, um, whether we support individuals who, um, are low income or we are low income ourselves. Um, we, we must educate ourselves. We must learn more about the issues that either plague us or plague our communities to get a better sense of why folks are mm-hmm. where they are. And with, Education comes understanding. Um, it's it's an elementary step, but at the same time, it, it can be it can lead to that deep dive that we discussed and be very complicated. But um, once they've done that, then they can proceed mm-hmm. with more authority because if anyone then questions and they can say, well, no, <laughs> this is still very, very relevant today.
2: I love that one. And it, it it's always powerful to be in the room when that's being addressed as well, because it's... Like some people are already thinking about being more evolved in that respect, and others are not. And it can be—it it goes back to Betsy's comment about that discomfort that's going to be in the room uh, when people are confronting their their long view of history. I was trying to think of a small thing, and I couldn't think of a small thing, so I'm going to give you a big thing because that's just how it is. I think we have to be really, really cognizant, mindful, and focused on essential public policy changes, especially when it comes to data collection. You know, we talked earlier about the importance of measuring our work and when we're working about around equity to really be measuring uh, what is inequitable and then tracking our progress on that. And it's really important to know that, you know, for all of us in business, d- data is, you know, it's the mm-hmm. voice that's telling us what to do and how to react to things and just to remember that, you know, data systems in our country are really, really flawed. And they're flawed for um, not giving people enough options to bring their whole self. And then in some cases, not giving any options at all, um, you know, for LGBTQIA plus people, there's still a massive gap. In uh, opportunities to use self-identification. You can use it some places and you can't use it other places. And you can use, maybe you can do sexual orientation, but you can't do gender identity. Maybe there's not enough blanks to really recognize someone's full identity. And then I think for people who are experiencing disability, there's also huge gaps mm-hmm. in data and people Lot of argument about uh, what is a disability and what's not a disability. And I think we really need to just create spaces where people can identify who they are, what's their experience, what's the context they're interacting with your organization, and do it with data that represents who they are. Because if we go back to look at the data and we start making decisions, but we didn't realize that not everybody was really Mm -hmm. included, we're going to We're going to make decisions we have to undo later. So that's a big one. And then, you know, I think any health equity public policy opportunity we have is going to be really important. And with that, I would just like to acknowledge that the Trans Health Equity Act passed in the state of Maryland. It's on its way to the governor's desk. Um, You know, this is a really important bill that provides access to health care for people who, on medical assistance in Maryland who need affirming mm-hmm. gender care. This is something very important to Chase Brexton. This is a major patient population service area where mm-hmm. we work. And this law is a huge victory and it makes me proud to be a Marylander and especially proud of the transgender led organizations that really made this bill happen and then championed it all the way across the finish yeah. line.
0: I know. I uh I'm So impressed by the initiatives that we see in the legislation in Maryland. And what my hope is is that we continue to be, you know, ahead of everyone else and people will maybe pay attention and learn from us because what we've done is so important. So all we can do is just one step at a time, one person at a time. Yeah, the work never ends. No. No. Well, I want to thank you both for being here today. I know my listeners are going to learn a lot and they're going to be able to take some of this information into their organizations and perhaps into their families. Because my feeling has always been change happens one person at a time, one heart at a time. And I'm really grateful for both of you. So thank you for being here today. Yeah, it was a pleasure. So much. We'll come back if you ask us. Well, after this Definitely. series, there's going there, there'll probably be another, another part to it. So
2: Well, you are a leader I've long respected, and I, I'm grateful for every moment that our paths have crossed. and I was thrilled to see that you were, you were doing a podcast on this topic of leadership. I, I think it's a, a beautiful, beautiful concept, and we wish you every success with it.
0: Oh, thank you both. I appreciate you so much.
1: Thank you. I echo that sentiment. Really appreciate you having us.
0: Thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed this episode, please follow Room at the Table on your favorite platform and share with a colleague or two or three. You can find the full transcripts, links, and more resources to creating more equitable workplaces at Room at roomatthetablepodcast.com. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.